Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. Joining you once again, maybe a little wet and soggy, your host, Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat. Along for the ride with me, I think he's slightly less wet and soggy, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? I am less wet, but I am still dizzy from looking at the Maryland Terrapins uniforms earlier this week. Oh, it was an interesting, interesting fashion choice. We won't be discussing too much here, but I'm always pro Maryland flag. So what are you going to do? Well, I thought actually I was, they were warming up to me and then I saw the shoes and then I got dizzy again. So it it wasn't the shoes. Well, there you go. To each his own, I guess. So moving on to our favorite woeful baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles, probably the most interesting ongoing topic is what's going to be the new direction of the team since it's kind of a given at this point among everybody who would seem to know these things that Andy McPhail won't be back. Uh, last week in Keith Law's ESPN Insider chat, he said he's hearing that Joe Jordan, the Orioles scouting director, also will not be returning to the organization next year. So how do we feel about that? Well... I think the first thing to acknowledge is that uh, it seems like we, we use Keith Law as a crutch a lot, but he's got a lot of inside the industry contacts. So I wouldn't doubt this report for really any reason. And it seems to fit because just get the sense that everybody's going. It is a Baltimore Orioles sales event. Everything must go. I would say everything, probably, except for the stock stills, must go. That would be my guess. Right. And, of course, they're the ones in charge of international free agency and player development. And those are the two facets of the Orioles organization that are really struggling right now. And two years ago, or whatever, they just switched jobs like it was no big deal. Yeah. That that doesn't bode well, I don't think. That was a pretty weird one. It's really hard to put a positive spin on that. And it's really hard to put just a neutral spin on it, too. Because neither one was important enough in his job to need to stay there. But neither one was bad enough to get fired, but they needed to switch jobs. Like, there must have been some impetus for that. But What about Joe Jordan? Um, he has been in charge of the Orioles drafts. That's the Rule 4 draft. Since 2005, he was hired in 2004. Um, His first draft pick was Brandon Snyder, who did not pan out. His second first-round draft pick was Billy Rowell, who did not pan out. And then he got a lot better, and I I don't think it's a, a huge coincidence that the draft budget went up substantially at the same time that his draft started looking better when he drafted Matt Wieters, this was 2007, and Jake Arrieta, both in the, the top. The, those were the, the two Orioles' top draft picks that year. And Jordan's Oklahoma connection seemed to have brought us the Bundys. So yeah. more power to him. But at the same time, it seems like Okay, he's got a couple of busts um, in early first-round picks. Raul, 
Matt Hopgood's not looking like a very defensible pick. Brandon Snyder didn't work out. <clears throat> of course, at the time, I'm I'm not sure I remember about Snyder, but I know Raul was very well thought of at the time, the best prep bat in the system, and those guys usually go pretty early. Of course, the killer with Billy Raul is always the taken right after him was Tim Lincecum, so... Well... Yeah, but you can play that game. It's the first round of the draft. Anytime you have a bust, you can always play that game. Right now, Brian Mattis looks like a bust, and I think right after him was Buster Posey, who is certainly not a bust. Um, It's interesting because I didn't really pay attention to the draft in those years, like where it was Billy Rowell. I wasn't that plugged into the Orioles where I was like, you know, diving in and looking at all the prospects. Whereas for the Brian Mattis draft, I was. So I remember all the things that were supposed to be good about Brian Mattis. And I sit here and I want to say, well, you know, there was no way of knowing Brian Mattis would turn into what he is. But maybe that was also true with, you know, Brandon Snyder, Billy Rowell. And to a certain degree, Matt Hopgood, too. Because while that was a consensus overdraft, he was still supposed to be a first-round draft pick. Right. They just, were all just like, well, we wouldn't have taken him that high, but maybe in the 20 range or something. Right. He should still be a good pitcher. And then like, he showed up out of shape. He hurt his shoulder. Uh, I think I heard some things about him not admitting that he hurt his shoulder, which seems to be kind of an ongoing thing throughout the Orioles organization. Yeah, top to bottom. That definitely hit the big league club this year, as everybody that's listening to this, I'm sure, is well aware by now. (laughs) And you just wonder, how do you separate what Joe Jordan does from what whichever Stockstill and his team do when they get these players and have to develop them? And that is a distinction that I'm completely incapable of making, unfortunately. Right. One thing that is not super fun for us talking about this topic is there's so much stuff that just as two random schmoes who just have microphones and get to talking about the Orioles just can't really know because uh, even if we knew all these phone numbers for all these people I'm pretty sure they wouldn't return our calls or emails yeah right um, but I wrote for the site last week what if what if what if this just happened what if there's nobody to blame what if everybody in charge of player development's done their job as well as they can. And I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just playing a what-if game. What if it's just bad luck? What if, you know, Mattis was supposed to flame out? It happens. These things do happen. Right, the old adage. Well, I don't know if it's old, but the adage, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. So some some of them say. And this is why that's an adage. Um, It's just... There's not enough talent in the system. Um, And I think part of that probably does fall on Joe Jordan. Not that I think he's been a bad uh, scouting director at all. And his drafts, uh, I'm certainly not as as good at reading them as James Feldman is. Or like a John Sickles or anybody like that. But his drafts seem solid solid to average um seems like we're never on the list of like big time draft winners but although on the other hand what makes teams draft winners is when they get the 
billions of supplemental round picks to something like the Toronto Blue Jays did this past right. year, which that's out of Joe Jordan's control. Right. So, and when they don't have their second round picks taken away from them, for example. Right. So, you know, it's hard to separate his performance from everybody else's. And it's certainly true that there needs to be some pretty big overhauls throughout the Orioles system. But I am terrifically worried that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. If there are good, I mean, and there has to be, we talked about this on the last one. There have to be some people who are good at their jobs and they might just get washed out along with the complete, you know, total tides washing over the warehouse. We, We should not just assume that bad luck has a small or trivial role to play in all of this. Because I think the more you look at this sort of thing, the more you realize that a lot of it does come down to luck. And obviously their job is to minimize that. And they haven't done that successfully. But I don't know. I'm, I don't know. And it doesn't help that. I mean, we have no idea who's coming in to replace these guys. No idea whatsoever. Uh, there was a, a blurb in an article by Ken Rosenthal from Fox Sports saying basically that Peter Angelos doesn't want to hire somebody that he's not super comfortable with. And then there's all the normal caveats of, well, how much say is Buck Showalter going to have in the hiring of all these new guys? And what kind of guy does he want? And gosh, I mean... We sure don't know that either. Right. It's it's a it's a big mess full of a bunch of different competing egos, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And we basically just have to wait and see. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I said, it's certainly true that something needs to change. So one of the things that's really made apparent that the current plan the Orioles was working with is all that bad luck or whatever it was that's just got the rotation totally shaken up and one of the byproducts of that is it looks like they're going to try maybe towards the end of the season or maybe for next year to have Jim Johnson in the rotation and on one hand a good starter is worth more than a good reliever but I don't know why they need to mess with success in Jim Johnson's case for instance so you you would say you're Against this move. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess what the heck you might as well try because it's, it's better than seeing more of Jojo Reyes and Brian Mattis <laughs> well, in, that... in the rotation, for instance. Um, I think the standard formula and obviously all sorts of caveats because this is just like a guesstimate, basically. When you look to convert starter to reliever or vice versa is to add about a run to their ERA and using uh, Jim Johnson's FIP this year, which is about 315. That put him four-ish, a four-ish ERA as a starter. And (laughs) the sad thing about that is if that's what he could give us, that would make him 
the starter with the lowest ERA on the Orioles this year. Yep, so, that's true. Wow, that's a really sad statement. The Orioles have no starter with a sub-4 ERA. That's great. The lowest right now is Zach Britton, who's at 4.33. Yeah, and Britton's had a, a good year, especially for a rookie. Right, but... and considering he had a little bit of shoulder problems, probably that affected him for a few starts before he got DL'd. Sure. Um, I would just say that that is like the the most usual case for Jim Johnson, the most likely case for Jim Johnson. And, you know, for a while I was sort of thinking like, why, why bother? Like this is like, he had elbow problems last year. He was demoted to triple a last year because he was ineffective at the beginning of the year. And he's how old is he? 28 years old, 29 years old. He's 28. And it just seems like, this is going to be risky. Um, and the downside of it is, for one thing, totally wrecking the bullpen. And this is a bullpen that doesn't have a lot of room between <laughs> itself and just worse in the business. Especially after Koji Uehara was traded. Right. Because um, then and, you've got Jim Johnson as the only reliable, semi-reliable reliever, any kind of reliable reliever in the pen. You know, you blow out Jim Johnson's arm or shoulder. That could be the end of him. That's it's very risky, but you know, it it's sort of like, what do we have to lose? Because having him as a very good reliever or a closer is sort of trivial on a team that's losing 100 games or so. Right, it's a luxury that a 100-loss <laughs> team doesn't need. Right, we need to develop starters way more than we need Jim Johnson to stay healthy and be a good reliever. So, you know, risky, but I'm starting to come around on it. You know what, you've talked me into it, Andrew. We need a, <laughs> We need another, even average starter would be okay at this point. I do wonder, because the most recent example of this happening and working out is C.J. Wilson, the lefty of the Rangers, who was in the bullpen and was converted into a starter uh, in 2010 for the 2010 season. And that's worked really, really well. He is he's going to be a free agent and he's going to be the best available free agent starting pitcher on the market. I guess unless CC Sabathia opts out of his well, uh, thing, right. but probably the Yankees will just sign him back for more money. Just like what happened with a rod. Um, <clears throat> so I sort of wonder if this is a case of the Orioles looking at the Rangers and saying, well, we should emulate them. And that makes me wonder if it's a case of Buck Showalter looking at his old club and being like, he remind Jim Johnson reminds me of CJ Wilson and CJ Wilson, the Rangers just converted over. We should do that too. And certainly the number of players coming over from Texas this year, it, it makes me wonder if that's kind of Buck's fingerprint in the same way that all of the ex Cubs that came over 
when Andy McPhail was just getting started with the Orioles was kind of his fingerprint. And there's so many you can't even really count them all, but like Lou Montanez or Felix P.A. Who else? Right. I don't even know how many others there were. Steve Traxel twice. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. It just... I'm not even sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing because it seems like emulating Texas, well, they're one of the smarter teams, very successful. They seem to be making experiments with developing starting pitching that have been so far much more successful than the Orioles. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, <laughs> the players that we're sort of picking off from them are like Tommy Hunter and Chris Davis and these sort of marginal guys. Right. Now, Zach Phillips was over in Texas yeah, right. organization. I think Willie Ayer maybe was. Pedro Strope. Pedro Strope. Although, if he doesn't walk a lot of dudes, he'll be okay, I guess. So, C.J. Wilson, I just am looking at his stats. So, in 2009 was his last year as a reliever. He, played it, he appeared in 74 games, 73.2 innings. So, I guess he was a one-inning reliever, pretty much. He had a 2.81 ERA. Striking out 10 batters per nine. That's pretty good. And last year was his first year as a starter, and he went up to 204 innings because he made 33 starts. So I guess that was a full season. Didn't even get DL'd. And he had a 3-3-5 ERA. That's pretty good. If JJ could give us anything near that, half a run only going up, that would be pretty good. But, of course, there's no guarantee. It will just because it happened with CJ Wilson. But Of course. But uh, it it seems odd because you hear a lot of guys talk about or uh, beat writers or, or such talk about JJ's three plus pitches, and you know I don't remember hearing anybody talking about his three plus pitches before Buck Showalter showed up. So it just it makes me think. That's all. I'm and like I said, I'm not even sure it's a bad thing, but it makes me think. So we'll um, see what happens with Jim Johnson. He might make a couple starts before the end of the season, or he might not. I don't know. Because right now, Rick Vandenherk is going into the rotation. I think JoJo Ray is pitched today in relief, so he's probably maybe not starting anymore, which is good because JoJo Reyes, yeah, no more. Yeah, I think we've all seen enough of JoJo Reyes. We have seen enough. It's the current rotation that's set. looks like it's Guthrie... Tomorrow, Friday, which by the time you hear this is today, uh, Rick Vandenherk Saturday, Tommy Hunter Sunday, Zach Britton Monday, Alfredo Simone Tuesday, and then back to Guthrie. So I don't even know where they're going to squeeze Johnson in there. Vandenherk, if he sucks, maybe we'll just get like one start. I guess Britton might hit an innings limit. Simone might hit a. I'm not sure. Simone what limit. is Zach Britton's. Because he spent some time on the DL, and I would imagine that that sort of wiped out whatever innings limit he was going to run up to. Yeah, let's see. He's thrown 133 in the big leagues, and he's thrown about 17 in the minor leagues. So probably that'll cover him for the rest of the season. And Simone just looks like he's running out of gas because he hasn't had a good start Mm -hmm. for the Mm -hmm. most part in a while. Well... And this is kind of the problem with all of these starters. Not Britain, obviously, but like Reyes and Vandenherk and Simone. They're all just, they're so marginal. Yep. 
the upside on all these guys, Tommy Hunter, um, whoever else that I'm missing, is just like they're not going to turn into they're they're not going to develop into really really good starters. So we're running out these guys with the hopes that one of them can catch on and basically be like Bruce Chen for a year. And that's so, uh, you know that's not a very good scenario to say the right, least. And that's, that's why. We need to develop starting pitchers, and that's sort of what leads me to think Jim Johnson might be a good candidate. So if you want to talk Despite about the- a crazy stat for a starting rotation, I believe the Tampa Bay Rays, every start made by their team this season was by a pitcher that they drafted and developed. I think they were talking about that on Mass and on the last time we played them. Yeah, That's just and- crazy. <laughs> considering the Orioles have right now, I guess Britton and Simone are the guys the Orioles acquired originally. Well, Simone, they signed out of another professional league even, so really just Britton. Out of the Mexican league, yeah. I believe. It wasn't like they signed him straight out of the Dominican or something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty remarkable streak for Tampa Bay. Of course, they've only had like seven different starters all year, and the Orioles have had, I think, 11. Well, you, the thing that makes me really think about this is pondering, you know, how are they reducing the luck portion of the, the function here with their starting pitchers? I think they just had second and third waves just ready to go in the order. Well, there's did. certainly that because they've had a couple miss, like missed draft picks. They had Wade Townsend, who the Orioles drafted and couldn't sign, and then the the Devil Rays at the time drafted him, and he busted. And they had, I think, Tim Beckham in the first round, and he sort of busted out and is trying to rebuild his value now. And then they had Jeff Neiman, who didn't really turn into what they were hoping for, and Andy Sonnenstein. But then they had like all these other guys, like James Shields and David Price, and Matt Moore is the second best prospect in baseball. Jeremy right Hellickson. Yeah, Jeremy Hellickson. It's just they, they keep coming at the problem with more guys, and they're all really talented, and they've spent a lot of careful time developing them. Whereas but with the still, Orioles, it's like, okay, Brian Mattis has an intercostal injury. Zach Britton, you're making your major league debut. And then it's, it's like it's, Jake Arrieta has bone chips in his elbow that he should have removed last offseason. But that's another story entirely. Well, yeah, and if you want to follow that, you, you remember at the start of spring training, Brian Mattis had a wart on his pitching hand that he had to get removed during spring training that he had had all of last year. And it's like, well, why didn't you get that? Why did you wait till now to get that removed? So I wonder about like what pitch effects and other metric things the Rays are using to their advantage to help keep their pitchers healthy and all sorts of things. And then I wonder like, well, there's nothing that's explicitly saying the Orioles aren't doing all of those things too. Right. Maybe they're just not doing it well. There's a lot of, insider secrecy, I guess, I would imagine, with these these sorts of things. And uh, then I see, like, well, they didn't get that bone 
the, those bone chips taken care of. They didn't get that wart taken care of. <laughs> I mean, if they can't even be like, oh, well, you should get that taken care of like before spring training. I mean, if they can't get that right, why should I think that they're getting something else more complicated right And to be sure, the Orioles don't even have that problem limited to pitching prospects because we saw Luke Scott playing the whole year with a partially torn labrum mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. his shoulder. So, I mean, you know, they can't they, – it's like when it's obvious guys are hurt, why aren't they getting them treatment? I don't know. Maybe that's just a general baseball players try to be all macho thing. And the Orioles are having particularly bad luck. Maybe there's something that Orioles could do better. I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. So we are thoroughly useless uh, commentators <laughs> on this stuff this time. We are. We're the worst. So let's let's move on to a different topic we can also be terrible at. Um, this podcast is split into two parts. That seems to be our new standard. In part two, Andrew and I go on a nice free-range discussion of war, wins above replacement in general, and dealing with the Orioles specifically, if I do say so myself. I think it's one of our more interesting conversation topics on the podcast. Available now on CamdenChat.com or on iTunes. For now, this is Camden Cast, and we are out.